0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. ding ling ling city desk, pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it, it's a mess, meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy a new fur coat. To get insurance she employs
1: Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media with some veteran observers and participants in that field, and we welcome you. I'm Rex Smith from the Upstate American, formerly editor of the Times Union. Here with investigative journalist Rosemary Armeo, the former publisher of the Daily Freeman and affiliated publications in Kingston, New York. Ira Fesfeld and Alan Shartak, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, political scientist, commentator, etc. And a lot more, but don't yeah, we kill don't. Yourself I know <laughs> we don't want to dwell too much, do we now? Wow. Being a humble fellow You know I read something interesting In the preparation material That our producer Dave Gostina put You're together You're the one I, <laughs> I was going to say that <laughs> There was an interesting term One word that stuck out at me And I was looking at A guide to covering homelessness Published by an advocacy group They were talking about Whether you should pay A homeless person For talking to a journalist Because mm-hmm. you know sure. These people need money And they ask Give us some money And the word that came up Was extractive Given the extractive nature of journalism. Extractive being a term that's usually used to apply to Mining. (laughs) Yeah, mining, right, and oil. So journalism is extractive, and that is, in a sense, there are sort of victims of it. Isn't that a
2: reality of what we do? Rosemary, you want to talk Oh, this goes back to Janet Malcolm, doesn't it? It, How is a journalist like a murderer, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely no question that it's manipulative. It can be dishonest. There's any number of cases where people have told their story, poured their guts out to a reporter expecting, never being promised exactly, but expecting that their story would come out as they wanted it told in a sympathetic in and in a way that bore no checking of any facts, just exactly the way they told it. And journalists let you think that. I can remember as a cub reporter getting a complaint from someone and the guy called up and complained to my boss that she me for information <laughs> Imagine and, that. Yes, I asked for a raise when they were telling me about that complaint so yeah I I think that that is absolutely true and there are groups that get extracted upon more than others I think homeless are some of them the mentally ill prostitutes yeah definitely
1: but your responsibility is to your readers yep. right so what do you do Alan do you hold journalists ethically responsible for preying on P R E Y people whom they're interviewing
3: I think we all have the responsibility of being fair. And that's not an easy thing to do. When you're a journalist, you want to get information. And I have seen so many great journalists, the Rosemary is a great journalist, you know, deal with people in such a way as to get their job done, extract information. And often that is seen as unethical. I mean, to my right, sitting here around this table right now, is Ira Fussfeld, who, of course, was the editor of the Kingston newspaper and a lot more. And I am sure he had to take... <laughs> incoming from <laughs> people who thought that they had been, and so have you, Rex, mm-hmm. and so have you, Rosemary, who thought that they had been treated unethically because people were extracting information from them.
4: Well, let me, let's just to Rex's initial point, do you believe that it is appropriate for reporters, using the homeless as an example, to pay for the, quote-unquote, the interview? Now, you? No,
1: I wouldn't, but I think that's an interesting point, and we should talk about that because I think people expect now, I mean, they hear about 60 Minutes paying consult which actually is paying people that they are interviewing for stories, that kind of thing. Networks kind of do it sometimes now, which is a violation of ethical codes that most of us subscribe to.
4: On the other hand, if you're walking down the street in Los Angeles, as I have on numerous occasions terrible homeless problem and you see them on the street they're not begging quote-unquote but it would be all right to throw them a couple of bucks if that was your desire so if a reporter did that how much of it is he buying the interview or how much of it is he being humane by giving them yeah one is a gift
2: the other is a payment it's completely different
1: the fear is that if you start paying for the news, you're influencing the news and you're only getting that which you get. It's like the blue check marks that Elon Musk is now selling rather than wording for credibility. Once you start paying for something, you kind of get a sense that it's not.
2: Instead of money, what if you bought the homeless person you wanted to interview a sandwich, a lunch, a coffee? My father used to that, do that. Is that the same thing? Yeah. I it think doesn't... it's the same thing. It's the same, same thing. You're same still person.
1: paying for it, but it's more humane. But it is, it is interesting that sometimes you feel as though, you know, Rosemary's point that you use the word dishonest and I think in the extraction of information there is a certain confidence game. I think oh, that yeah. was the term that Janet that, Malcolm yes, used back exactly in The New Yorker years ago. That you're kind of wheedling people, getting them to believe you. You know, the same thing happens with a journalist on a beat, though there is less of that now because there are fewer journalists assigned to really dig deep into beats. For example, when I covered the courts as a young reporter in Smith Every day, going to the courthouse and dealing with these same sources, you become friendly with sources. You end up, is that paying? them? It's an interesting question. When you buy them a beer at the bar, it's, it's a becoming, bribe. Yeah, it's like a bribe. Well, beer. isn't just putting them in the house. paper a bribe in a way?
3: So
2: in so other words, keeping out something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that, sure. that's a whole different thing at all. all well, ethical. it's different, but it's real. This comes under the heading that I've talked about for years when teaching journalism media ethics: that you frequently get to make a choice between being a really good human being and being a really good journalist. And they don't always coincide. Could you give us an example of that, Rosemary? My favorite example, you know this, Oliver Sippel. The man who in the 80s saved Gerald Ford's life by jumping up in a crowd and pushing away the arm of an assassin. He then becomes the most sought after human being in the universe. He saved the leader of the free world. And it turns out that he is a mostly, partially closeted gay man. And he begs the San Francisco paper not to print the truth. His family doesn't know. His employers don't know. We'll ruin his life. Would you print it or not? And universally, my students now all say, no, I wouldn't. It had nothing to do with saving the president's life. Why would you? And it's, remember, in the, the mid-'80s, we were not as enlightened as we were now. I would have liked to be in your classroom at that point, Rosemary. Could you I, describe what happened well, next? What time? I, they, all say, they all say, no, 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 there's <laughs> no way. That's just terrible. That's terrible. And I said, well, there you go. I am a journalist. You're human beings. To me, that is the entire story.
1: Even just putting somebody's age in the paper sometimes becomes a big deal.
3: Uh, well, why do they do that, Rex? I've always wondered about that. Maybe what? I'm the least sophisticated of this group. It's almost as if It's Rex Smith Then your
1: age is given yeah, It's just part of Identification Why does the New York Times use the middle Initial of the governor You know
4: That's kind of silly I I think Why do Supreme told-
2: Court Judges all have Three names Nobody else does it. I
4: think i think <laughs> I've really told The weird. story we, I had a veteran Reporter who worked For me in Kingston And who used to Work for UPI And I would overhear Him interviewing people And he would always Ask for middle initial yeah. It was just part of The training The truth
2: I think, I think age Is different though Age is I one mean. of those Cues that we humans Use without asking a whole bunch of questions, it says a whole lot. It puts you in a certain, you know, generational cohort. It explains your attitudes about many things. I think age is really important and it's one of those things that belongs in every news story the same way that a description of the person does, if you're not gonna use a photo. When we meet other humans, what's the first thing you do? You register their age, their appearance. Why is that? It's well
3: not that's intrusive. the appearance. The appearance thing gets to be interesting because, in some ways, it can be sexist. Well, if, it's if, if sexist you if you think it, it for women and
2: not men. It also yes. is really difficult. Like if you say someone has frizzy hair and crooked teeth, that's not very nice. Hmm. And they won't like it, even though the picture that you might take would show crooked teeth and frizzy hair.
1: You know, I remember writing a piece actually up here in the Capital Region uh, Dealing with money for people who were poor And I described this home these people lived in out in rural Rensselaer County As a shack, really, not far from the road Did you use the word shack? I used the word shack, and the woman called me two days after it was published Somebody had gotten a copy of the paper to her And she was crying She says, it's a cottage, it's not a shack And I felt terrible You know, I thought I had accurately described it And I was doing it because I... Readers, you did, to but for her. yeah, yeah, but not for her. But
2: that is part of what happens, Rex. That's the manipulation, though, that you're yeah, talking exactly. about. Exactly, that woman expected that you were completely on her side and saw things just as you did. Yeah, because you probably sat and you talked for a long time. Yep. You were going to put her plight out for the world to see and maybe do something about. So you did draw her in to think that you were you that's were right. an ally.
1: Exactly. There was it was a betrayal. It was a betrayal. And she felt it that way. And so I felt terrible about it, of course. I'll tell you one that's worse. Here's one of my, <laughs> as long as we're you know Telling cleansing ourselves. This is expiation. Yeah, get
3: yours uh, ready, uh, Rosemary. <laughs> yeah.
1: When I was a reporter up here in the Capitol for Newsday for a Long Island paper, there was a bit of a building boom in the Adirondacks. Tourists were coming to the Adirondacks and there was a new set of condos being built. Right near Gore Mountain and North Creek Actually, if you look at them now, there they are It's a big of. So they were under construction And my now wife and I went up there to look at this place And I did tell the person who was showing me this new place under construction I work for this place down on Long Island called Newsday It didn't register that I was a reporter And when she said to me I said, gosh, this is really something building in the woods here And she said, yeah, sometimes I look at this and I think, oh, it's terrible This used to look so beautiful oh. But now, you know, it's housing for People, so I quoted her. She didn't Understand that she was talking to reporters. She knew she was talking to somebody who worked for a newspaper
4: Always the issue. Isn't that something? <laughs> so this is different in a way. This is Not quote-unquote bribing. You actually Interviewed somebody without telling them who you yeah. Were.
1: Without making really Clear. Yeah. And you know, the code of ethics of the Society of professional journalists says minimize Harm. I mean, that's what these journalist guides for Reporting on homelessness goes to. And These standards, I had them painted on the wall Of the conference room at the Times Union. The Standards of the code of ethics minimize Harm is one of the things that journalists are asked to do That is consistent with your truth-telling responsibility You try to minimize harm It doesn't mean that you don't harm people Because we know our reporting sometimes will But your first responsibility is telling the truth in that case, the truth of the impact on the environment of that construction could have been told by the reporter without sort of double-crossing the person that I was well, interviewing. Now,
4: what would happen, or does it not even happen except in the movies, if your editor had assigned you to, quote, be an undercover reporter? I've,
2: I've done that. In Ohio, I worked as a volunteer in one of those old warehouses, the likes of which we no longer have, where there were just hundreds of mentally retarded people, developmentally disabled, we say now. And I worked as a volunteer. I worked really hard and then wrote, like, this four-part series. And I described staffers yelling at patients, you know, because you get so frustrated, touching them inappropriately. I'm sorry, what you say? This touching, was in Ohio. It was years ago. No, but you say touching them inappropriately. You know, like violently, not like oh, yeah, sexual. Yeah, yeah, no, no, okay. no, 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 no. I, I mean, mean, like being you rough said with it, them. I just wanted to make Yeah, it yeah. No, I'm, th- I'm glad you did. No, being rough with them. And, oh, they were just furious, as you can imagine, when it came out. And the director put out a public statement that this was dishonest work and it was filled with lies, so I immediately marched into his office and said, point out every lie. Here's a series. There's yeah. nothing in here that's not true. And in in that case, I thought that the deception was worth it for the information. I did not see another way to get that story. If you had interviewed the director, for example, or any of the other workers, do you ever get rough with patients? Would they have said what I saw? No.
1: Right. The great example of that uh, that's cited from years ago, of course, is the Mirage Bar, the Chicago Sun-Times, in an effort to get information about bribe-taking by the building department in the city of Chicago. They actually bought a bar bar and operated it, and sure enough. Along came the building inspectors and the people who uh, would out. provide the licenses. Yes, indeed. Licenses to allow the bar to operate. And so the Mirage Bar gave the journalists an opportunity to see and to report directly. But that was deception in the pursuit of public
2: value. And point out, Rex, that that should have gotten but did not get the Pulitzer Prize that year because led by the New York Times and the Washington Post, the jurors decided that this was deceptive journalism.
1: Huh. Isn't that interesting? And what would you have done if you had been on that
2: Pulitzer jury? Let's let the lady answer. (laughs) I I think it's one of the great works of investigative reporting. I use it in my class. I would have probably been outvoted, but I would definitely have argued that it should have won. What about
1: Nellie Bly? I mean, we go back to, uh, wasn't it Nellie Bly who got herself into a mental facility? Mm -hmm. With Uh, no
2: real guarantee that she could get out. That's what always amazes me.
1: Right. So I actually, when I was a young reporter on Long Island, there was one of my colleagues who had done something like that at the Pilgrim State Psychiatric Center On Long Island This uh, massive, unbelievable Number of buildings Right, it was a, for a while the largest psych center want. In the world, yeah And this reporter actually Under the insistence of the legendary Bob Green, investigative journalist Two-time Pulitzer winner Got a cop to take him in As an alleged Ranting guy on the street Note that the reporter was black and so the perception of the people in intake was that, well, here's a crazy guy who's inside here. The difficulty was people were afraid that Bill wasn't going to be able to get, get out. out. And he ended up finding his way to a pay phone. <laughs> in those days, there were no cell phones. And saying, you've got to get me out of here. He got really frightened wow. after being in there for two days didn't quite get the story that Nellie Bly did, which uncovered so much. But you know, the question is how often do you have to somewhat just ingratiate yourself to people? But that effort to ingratiate is one of the reasons why there's this tension between public officials, for example, and journalists, because everybody assumes now that journalists are out to get you because for years they weren't as Rosemary points out the establishment journalists of another era were protective of their sources I think of John Jack Kennedy, Kennedy. Wow. Yeah, yeah exactly,
2: classic case mm-hmm. that
1: you uh, mean John Kennedy and the women right and that well, was the women covered up.
2: or the physical ailments that he had oh, yes. that was all yeah, was known all yes, to the reporters right. at the go time go back and to they FDR in it. the wheelchair yeah well, that's even more blatant
4: right well you you know you started this by talking about journalists need to learn more about homeless people and homelessness before they tackle that subject Subject. And there are so many misconceptions that the average person, much less the journalist, might have about homelessness. There is a temptation to use the, oh, they're just a bunch of bums. And you find out that many of them are not only not bums, but they were in very prestigious positions in cases who, before they fell onto hard times or, in fact, are still working but can't afford to live anywhere other than on the street, even with a job. And I think those kinds of misconceptions are important for journalists to report. But to your audience, uh, Another point is, how are you going about learning about it?
2: Can I hijack this for a minute? Because the case has totally bothered me this week of a Wall Street Journal reporter, a black man. That's what your your mention of that brought it to my mind. This is where a reporter is trying to get information about a bank. There are allegations against him, Chase Bank. And he's going to the bank, standing on the sidewalk, trying to talk to some people who are customers of the bank, which is something I've done to reporters all the time. Mm -hmm. If you're writing about money laundering, you want to know how this affects normal depositors. So you talk to real people, totally doing his job. And Rex, you have the background there. It's in Phoenix. Exactly. And the bank called up and complained that there was somebody out there. The cop comes out. The guy very politely explains who he is, what he's doing. And he ends up handcuffed in a police car.
1: Exactly And this kind of behavior By police departments Is I think Not at all rare These days Where you step in And stop the journalists From doing the job And remove the immediate threat That the business uh, That the local Establishment favors Can feel more at ease about it And think of the intimidation Factor for journalists And of course In this case This prompted the editor-in-chief Of the Wall Street Journal To contact the CEO Of Chase Bank Appropriately so And I hope that There would be some fallout of this
2: the bank actually apologized but the police the Phoenix police kind of doubled down and said we've reviewed this and we don't see anything wrong with you know how we behaved yeah Unbelievable. And us how, and us whether how, it's yes. racism against a black man who was yes, standing outside sure. a bank or whether it was you know action against the First Amendment because they were interfering with the reporter either way it's just unsupportable and yet they're defending themselves and there will probably be people who think that you did do the right thing. Now, what about your students when you're telling the story? Oh, of course, I'm totally on the side of the reporter, and I say bad things about policemen.
1: Almost every day, a journalist is arrested in the United States while doing their job. 220 arrests in 2020, 2021, and 22. So that is in the country where there's supposedly the greatest
2: press freedom in the world. But is we see. True? We don't, actually. We're very far down on the list. All the countries in Scandinavia are ahead of us. We, but we, that's... We we have slipped terribly under Trump, who was recognized by authorities on press freedom as a direct threat to press freedom in America.
1: But his ilk, of course, his supporters now all are denouncing the media, and it is a dangerous situation, actually, for journalists nowadays, in covering politics even. But when it comes down to just a reporter on the street doing her job or his job, that's kind of terrifying stuff, because it's a lot more like what has gone on historically in more repressive regimes. Anyway, if you have thoughts about this stuff, folks, this is the Media Project from Northeast Public Radio. Write media at wamc.org. We would love to hear from you. Media at wamc.org. That would be uh, Ira Fussfeld and Alan Shartok and Rosemary Armeo, and I'm Rex Smith. And we are happy to have an opportunity to talk to you about this. Hey, how do you think the media has been doing in covering, as they say, O talentoso Senhor santos, that is the talented Mr. Santos. I'm trying my Portuguese there since he's from Brazil. Isn't it actually finally a good time for the media to stand up and say, look at it, now this is all being uncovered. Too bad, of course, it wasn't before the election. But there is some really good digging going on, finding ahead of law enforcement, journalists, especially at the New York Times, are finding all of this material about Congressman Santos. And the question is, is is it now just giving an opportunity for everybody in politics to sort of beat up on him and avoid responsibility? I heard an NPR interview that sort of gave, I thought, a green light to the a Nassau County executive, a Republican uh, named Bruce Blakeman, who clearly had a hand in getting George Santos into Congress and now is happy to denounce him. Anyway. Has called
4: well, for his resignation. You know, when there's blood in the water. This guy Santos, he should have been uncovered prior to his election. He wasn't. Now people are looking correctly so for how deep his lies have gone beyond that, he, at least in my view, is an unsympathetic character. He just he looks funny. He, yeah, uh, you can't look funny, Ira. <laughs> I understand that. Well, yeah, okay, I bet I look funny, too. But, uh, I didn't say that. You know,
2: it's funny, though, the the way that the media works is for good and bad, there's a local case, a wedding album, was found in the Lost and Found at the Albany County Airport, and there's no name in it. It's a wedding album, you know, the sort of thing that people save and pass on to their kids. So the newspaper prints a story about it. It's picked up nationally runs all over the country, and now they've traced the wedding to a church, a Lutheran church in Hawaii. And there are people at that church digging through all the records trying to match, you know, pictures in the album and we haven't gotten a name yet, but that's the same sort of thing as this. You know, you they put out the story, the original story about Santos. And now every place where he's ever lived, they're saying, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. Hey. It's all coming together. That's how mass media works in a global environment. For good, good and for ill.
3: So once somebody discovers that you have a lying, lying, lying liar, then people yeah. pick up on that and say, Yes, I have a story about that
2: too right yeah sure when the story has legs as they call it it keeps legs. going and going it gets better and better
1: interesting that of course it's that story that has legs it's something that people can understand a lost wedding album you know it's of little consequence but it gets picked up nationally yep. It's all over the place Because it's kind of, I don't know It's heart-rending It's story
4: yeah. uh, What do you call it? Golly-Wiz-Martha Golly-Martha golly yeah. I've
3: always thought that <laughs> When you start talking about a story Having legs, it's sexist Huh? Because if you think...
2: <laughs> no, no. Well, <laughs> I don't think
3: <laughs> so <laughs> If you think about it you know. Um...
2: Oh, this story has packs <laughs> <laughs> Paging
1: <laughs> Dr. Freud Anyway
3: <laughs> how we wish you had been Differently employed For the set of circumstances short enhances The finances Of the followers Of Dr. Sigmund Freud
4: <laughs> But you know the, the other interesting thing To me about uh, How the media Is covering this And what the overall Impact is Everybody seems to agree That this guy Is bad news And he ought to be out And so the media Is able to run With this story Without fear Of being blasted For being, imp- being um, Too hard on him Too hard on him Yeah mm-hmm. I
2: I think it contrasts with what the media is dealing with now, which is Joe Biden, is he as bad as Donald Trump because he's got secret documents, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Although I've
1: seen an awful lot of legitimate media, let's say, as opposed to Fox News, being careful to articulate the differences. But it is going to get blurred over pretty quickly and you don't see it at all in the right wing media where the two are being equated and there's going to be an investigation.
4: Biden opened the door and whether whether it was him or uh, or somebody who didn't serve him well. So to the extent that he deserves criticism, it, although it's not equal... To what Trump allegedly did, he nevertheless has opened the door for it. I love what you,
3: you just said. Either him or somebody who did not serve him well. Yeah. Bringing up this whole business of how much responsibility staff has for getting a principal into trouble.
2: My concern is that in doing responsible journalism, saying this is what Trump did, this is what Biden did, they're not the same. Although they're getting closer and closer. We got stuff at a second location. I don't know. But he every time it, when he we, held we do it for that. Over a month, yeah, it didn't it. say anything thing until after the midterms I don't know it's pretty dicey but in doing that we are feeding the perception on the right that we're protecting the Democratic president
1: I suppose that you're feeding the perception but there is in fact a difference between a staff and the principal that would be Donald Trump intentionally withholding documents defying efforts by the National Archives and Records Administration I mean, I, that is very different from turning over documents that you find, even if you didn't put out a press release announcing that you found the documents. Because see, now, see,
2: you say that, yeah. and I read that, and I know where you're coming from, but I don't agree. I think I think it's getting way close. Uh-huh. Yes, he Trump lied. He signed a document or his lawyers did saying we've given you everything, and he, knowingly that was untrue. But we don't know the whole extent of the Biden story yet. And every day it's getting closer and closer. And it does look like the media is defending Biden every time we say, oh, this is way different than Trump. Yeah. And sometimes
1: the media has to do something that's going to be unpopular like that if your interest is truth-telling as opposed to popularity-building.
2: And I will say that Trump recognizes this dilemma his gotcha on that first day, he tweets out or whatever he calls it now because he doesn't use Twitter, but he tweets out, (laughs) yeah, when are they going to go raid his many houses, getting a double dig in because they raided me and they didn't raid you and he's got a lot of houses. He's rich. How do you get the money? It was a brilliant takedown. (laughs) As much as I hate the guy, that was brilliant. And Biden asked for it.
4: I'm sorry. He absolutely did. And if Biden or any other living ex- president has not spoken to his people to say, did we have anything somewhere? We've got to be ahead of this, and he was not ahead of it.
1: Finally, to make Alan feel better, we're going to talk about somebody older than...
3: I'm so glad you're going to make me feel
1: better.
2: <laughs> Are we going to talk about ageism? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy.
1: <laughs> Bernard Kalb, age 100, has died. Bernard Kalb, longtime correspondent for too young. The CBS, NBC, author of two books, but remembered here because as spokesman for the State Department during a part right. of the Ronald Reagan administration, he stood up. Actually, he quit because there was a disinformation campaign. The White House actually lied to the Washington Post to confirm off the record, to confirm off the record that there was an action underway against Gaddafi. And Bernard Kalb, when he found out that there had been a disinformation campaign orchestrated by the White House, he quit. So. Let's hear it for him. Let's give him a cheer.
2: Does that remind you of the governor of Arkansas when she was the presidential spokesman? Oh, yes, that That governor. principal stand against being (laughs) lied to and lying to the public. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Brings back memories.
1: Oh, yeah. With that, we have to go. That's Alan Shartok, Ira Fessfeld, Rosemary Romeo, and I'm Rex Smith. Thank you to our producer, David Steena, for making this possible. And thanks to you folks for joining us once again this week on The Media Project.
0: The
4: Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, professor emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Times Union and Substack columnist. Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. And Rosemary Mayo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at RPI. Listen to The Media Project online anytime at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening.
0: Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give preachers cheers freedom of the press.